Fine Dining, the search for the most mediocre restaurant in America, is a podcast where comedian Michael Ornelas is traveling the country, eating at all chain restaurants in search of the perfectly average 5.0 out of 10 dining experience. The objective middle threshold of where bad becomes good. Friend of the Doughboys, Marissa Pinson and John Glover were the most recent guests as they reviewed Costco's Food Court. It's a two-part episode that covers everything from discontinued menu items to how many Costco hot dogs they could fit in their mouths. Damn, I wish I was on that episode. I'd crush that. Head over to linktree.com slash fine dining podcast, uh, F-I-N-E-D-I-N-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and click B's giveaway to enter a giveaway for an all-expenses-paid trip to your local Applebee's, the current frontrunner for the most mediocre restaurant in America at 5.02 out of 10, for you and up to three of your friends. And you can watch or listen to Fine Dining on your platform of choice while you're there. Enter by May 1st, and the winner will be announced on the May 8th episode. Disclaimer, $50 will be provided for transportation along with a $200 Applebee gift card. I love doing those fast read disclaimer things. Go give fine dining a listen. The search for the most mediocre restaurant in America. This is a HeadGum Podcast. What's up, shitheads? Welcome back to another episode of High and Mighty. It's me, your boy, the number one fuckboy. The number one fuckboy. The number one fuckboy. Joining me, as always, in the studio is the nearly silent co-host, Arthur Gabris. Arthur, give him a shout-out, boy. That's practically nothing from Artie. Hey, full disclosure to listeners, he's actually not in the room. He's tired in the living room, poor guy party hard this weekend. Artie parties hard. Also joining me in Hide My Studios for the first time, not our first time hanging out, as you'll hear about shortly after this, but writer, comedian, eater? <laughs> I mean, it feels weird to say your lo- job location, but it is technically also a title. Yeah. I can't. We all carry the title <laughs> of eater with us. Guys, put your hands together, your virtual hands, your little fake VR hands, put them together for Farley Elliott. Woo! Top 10 fuckboy calling in. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say too. Somebody else on this podcast, I'm sure, has already claimed the second spot, but I don't need to take it from them. Yeah, you're, you're just uh, you're, you're saying I'm at least nine. I'm yes, around nine. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> Phil Rosenthal somewhere in this ranking, I'm sure. I If I got Phil Rosenthal to say he was the number one fuckboy on this podcast, I, that, I would hold that over him for the rest of my life. <laughs> Do you, I don't think he would say that. No, I don't think so either. With a, with a, a guest like, like a, a Rosenthal, who just by process of having made it in the entertainment industry and being a fucking gazillionaire as a result. Is he a person where you record the intro separately or do you do it in front of him and feel the shame? No, part of it is I want to lo- I want to like beat myself down in front of all my guests <laughs> so that they know, well, at least whatever I say is not going to be garbage. Right, 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 I've right. learned that this is as not as alienating as I thought it was okay. doing it for in front of people. Yeah. But Phil is one of the people I consider just getting it in the can without <laughs> him there. Because it just feels weird to do that in front of Phil. Like yes. Just the sweetest old man. I'm screaming curse words, but also I'm like, take me seriously. <laughs> right. And that, that's sort of part of it, too, is like there's just so many angles. The age is its own thing. That right. like I don't want to do this in front of someone who's just a generation older than me. Plus the money, plus the yeah, all of it. Yeah. And all because I, I, I'm we're all both all. So Doughboys listeners, and you can hear it in Mitch's voice when he doesn't want to play the oh, drop yes. in front of someone. Yes. Yeah. yeah, when he doesn't want to do hi. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel like he's like pinching a nerve just off mic or something <laughs> yeah. to get those specific sounds. <laughs> 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 
now. <laughs> Jesus, Mitch. <laughs> Fucking spit out the milk. Um, <laughs> um, all right, so we're going to read some negative reviews of my podcast mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. we uh, talk. So as always, listeners, you might know this. If you rate me five stars and roast me in the comments, I will read it on air. And yes, this is a blatant grab for stars, but I don't even know who goes by this anymore. Yeah, I'm not sure... I mean, it's like anything. Algorithms are meaningless, but also control everything around us. Right. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, this is all bullshit. But for real, though, can I please? Keep yeah, yeah, yeah. But stars? honestly, it matters because like I have over a thousand five star ratings. And I don't know what that means at all. Do you ever go and like look at who is in like the comedy section and people that are doing well and things like that? I should do that. Should I also while I'm while I have this open on my computer? Should I also subscribe to my own podcast? You know, what? just get the listens. On. I, I say, give yourself something to hope for. <laughs> Are you sure you want to subscribe to High and Mighty? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Look at the uh, hurdles that these nice people are having to go through to keep you around. Oh, please, let me get my Mac Weldon money, baby. Have, All right. Have you ever in your life left a review for a podcast? No. <laughs> I think I did once for Don't Get Me Started because they were doing a bit where if you... Uh, 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 commented the word hello, they would say hi back. On, and I thought that was really funny. So I wrote it. Oh, oh no worries. That's always broken. You didn't do that, though. Either, I, right? I mean, I lifted my foot and broke it. So. <laughs> All right, that's fine. But that's but that happens every day. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it first finally happened on its own. Um, maybe I shouldn't put thousands of unread friends books. On the <laughs> <laughs> All right. This one's called Five Stars, question mark, of course, by OMG Genius. Wow. So, so glad to see Artie Lang has escaped the hospital and somehow managed to start a podcast. His alter ego, John, is perhaps what Artie thinks a slightly better version of himself might be. Although his trademark interrupting and self-serving stories are a dead giveaway of who John really is. The scary part of the show is his real dog named Artie, which he talks to and tells guests that he can be annoying. Artie's sister and mom, it's time to step in and before he hurts the woman he has locked up in there. Five stars all day. I gotta say, uh... There's a little bit of a, of a through line, obviously, with Artie the dog, Artie the name, Artie the guest host. I, I think there's a, a conspiracy angle to this one that I really like. Yeah. Th- they th- built a nice world. Yeah. This is like, this is, we're n- nudging at Pizzagate yes. at this point. <laughs> yes, exactly. One time I mentioned Pizzagate on the podcast, like in a stone conversation with Anthony and Tamanik, and I rarely get people that write to disagree with mm-hmm. me, like, or... Mm-hmm. One person just like wrote me an email that's like, I was a fan of your podcast till you dismissed Pizzagate so easily. This is a, you know, people are getting, children are getting molested. I hope you're happy or whatever. And oh then like, was like oh, you lost a listener. Whoa. I was like, wow, I can't believe a... I mean, I guess I can believe that someone that listens to this podcast also believes pop- oh, Pizzagate. Oh, yeah, the Venn diagram is almost a full circle. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> um, but also at the same time, it's like, I couldn't imagine, like, this is the podcast. Like, I don't, I'm rarely political. Right. And if if you think me getting political is saying, I doubt Hillary Clinton molests children in the basement of a pizza <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> if you count that as, like, a bold political stance, feel free to fucking stop listening to this right. podcast. Right. The Pizzagate thing, too, is something that is, like, out of all the conspiracy theories in the universe, the one that is so demonstrably false, they don't even have a fucking basement there. Right. Like, there's just so much that is so clear. You it's, don't need to show up with an AK-47. You I can do it, it on it, the that internet. Tr- that shit truly terrifies me. That yes. shit truly, because people will, turns out people can believe almost anything. That is so mm-hmm. far from even reality of, like, the connections that the conspiracy makes. Right. It's like, 
pizza is code for ordering children. <laughs> oh man. It's like if you've ever worked on giant like group events, it's like you're always ordering pizza <laughs> for all the fucking interns working late. Right. Like, I guess let's get some pizzas. And it's like yeah. they're ordering children oh. to a DNC meeting. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh no, pepperoni. That's the worst kind of child. <laughs> um this is from Dial Up Modem. And the title of the review is He Is, and the f- word, the the review is the word fat. So he is fat. <laughs> By, thank you, dial-up modem. Um, I guess that's about the minimum amount of work you could put in to get both a roast and a five-star review, right? Yeah, even just by process of like, did you put a period at the end of fat? Nope. See, that guy's really shaving space. That's yeah. like seven <laughs> letters to right. roast you with five stars. If he stars. would have uh, contracted he is to he's, he yeah, would have saved Yeah, that's you're his- done <laughs> at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, here we go. Cobra Lily. Vir- virulent and aggressive desperation. Slightly more upsetting than visiting a chronically underfunded, underfunded animal shelter, Mr. Gabriel spends an hour trying to fill the ever-expanding void in his vapid Hollywood existence with an inane nonstop avalanche of drug-addled word salad. Five stars. <laughs> okay. That's one of the most densely packed sentences I've ever heard somebody read, and they accused you of word salad. <laughs> I know. They're, they're, yeah, this per- this person fucking busted out their thesaurus, their word-a-day calendar, and really got their money's worth. Yeah, I, I will say, I, I wrote a book last year. It's all about the history of street food in Los Angeles. It's just called Los Angeles Street Food. And a lot of it was institutional knowledge that I had about like places around Los Angeles. But man, I would spend nights poring over that thing being like, I just need more words. <laughs> And I like high school style. Like, how do I just type in more words? How do I just add more words to the carnitas yeah, chapter? Yeah, yeah, And sure as shit, like, if you go on my Amazon page, there's one one-star review, and it's a woman who, like, just knows exactly what I was about in my lowest <laughs> moments. And it's so heartbreaking because she has some, some fucking real truth to everything yeah. she's saying. Uh, f- the author, Farley, goes on five different tangents about the same bathroom remodel <laughs> that must have been going on in his house while he was writing right, this. Right. Like, some weird obvious parallel yes much like the film three billboards like whatever's (laughs) happening (laughs) just sweating out eighty thousand words all right here's one last one then we'll get we'll get into it uh this is from northwood's kid he only has one thing is the name of the review john gabris constantly talks about how he wants to lose weight but sadly the only thing he's he has going for him is his fat gut. Not as funny as Nicole Byer, agreed. Not as lovable as Mike Mitchell, agreed. Not as insightful or good at improv as Lauren Lapkus, agreed. You won't lose weight because in the end, you aren't the fat funny guy. You're just the fat guy. <laughs> Ouch, dude. Yeah, that one hits hard because that's yeah. my biggest fear. Yes, <laughs> of course. That- I'm like, oh, I don't want to get skinny, then I won't be funny. It's like, no, you're not funny at all. <laughs> There's no such thing as like a humor molecule residing in the yeah. large larger torso of white men everywhere adipose tissue is where all the humor uh, (laughs) molecules sit (laughs) motherfucker i will say i don't want to be petty but hey northwoods kid if i'm just the fat guy your is y-o-u apostrophe r-e nice nice try motherfucker (laughs) i win i'm just tears pouring down my face (laughs) that's not how you spell your Cutting every cord to this podcast setup because I've won. Uh, no, no, no more five star reviews, <laughs> guys. As always, rate me five stars. Roast me in the comments. You can, you cannot be mean enough. <laughs> try it. Let's try to get extra mean this year, guys. Okay. Tell, 
sign your friends' uh, iTunes accounts up. If <laughs> if they don't even listen, just sign in as them and roast me. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> um, all right. Enough about me. I'll interject myself a thousand times into this conversation about fine dining. Ooh. The reason... Uh, we connected was uh, you're a food writer. I'm a food eater. You, mm-hmm, you also mm-hmm. eat. And then I was like, we got to have you on the podcast to talk about your book and all this shit. And then you were like, how about this? Let's go out to eat. And then we can talk about something different, like fine dining. We'll go out to a nice restaurant. I was like, Oh, that sounds interesting. And then your next, I think your next email was like, of course, uh, this will be paid for. I was like, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah this sounds fantastic. Yeah, you, a free meal in exchange for a podcast. I'd I didn't, I didn't want you to like sweat too much over how much you thought I was going to charge you to be on my podcast. <laughs> so I was like, no, there are old white men in New York who will pay for this. So yeah, it's we're, fine. We're made in the shade. Yeah. We're made in the shade. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we went to seventy one above. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is named that because it's the seventy first floor in a tower. Yeah, inside the U.S. Bank Tower. Which, um, and this is sort of getting into like a, a weird sidebar. But depending on who you ask, is the tallest building west of the Mississippi. They just recently built the Intercontinental Hotel. Built a, a tower that is technically taller because they have one of those spires. Uh, but some people um, don't count spires because there's right, nothing inside of it. Right. But everything, like if you just looked at the skyline of Los Angeles, it is demonstrably taller the U.S. Bank Tower than that spire building. It is. felt tall being up there. Yeah, you're at. Hell- Helicopter height. So right, a he- helicopter was flying by <laughs> at like eye level. Yeah, and he's the like, dro- oh, you, <laughs> "How's your meal?" <laughs> he gave us a thumbs up. <laughs> you went with the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> um, but fine dining is not a thing. I normally do, or it sounds like you normally do. Yeah, you know, uh, so I'm the senior editor of Eater here in Los Angeles, which is a big food publication. So I cover everything from breaking restaurant news to big trend pieces, things like that. Um, I'm not a critic, but I'm always kind of talking about the ins and outs of the restaurant world. And so a lot of what I choose to spend my time talking about is usually street food. It's kind of everyday stuff, neighborhoods, communities, things like that. I don't do a lot of fine dining just because it's not my background. It's not something I even feel super comfortable in. But I do find myself listening to other food podcasts and it's always fast food conversations or like which pizza is better yeah, in or New like York dude or no the cheese fries at this right but yeah they're sort of low class isn't the right word but it's sort of uh i'm trying to think of it it's like for the people like right. the food like but yeah not a lot of people and then maybe it is because it is alienating to discuss like expensive restaurant meals it totally stuff. is and I, and I don't need a podcast to always be like lifestyles of the rich and famous or something but i do think it's interesting to take a person who you know how many times have you talked about like Taco Bell on a podcast before a thousand like (laughs) and then be like oh let's go to this other thing and and see what we learn about ourselves and about the experience I think that's interesting yeah because fine dining is something I have done it's not something I always choose to do and maybe we should uh, lay down the parameters as to what is fine dining it doesn't necessarily mean expensive because you can go to an uh but it often is. Yeah, yeah. Traditionally, fine dining like has a few big tent poles. One is just price um, accessibility. You know, if you've got to make reservations, if it feels like the kind of place you take somebody for like a quiet New Year's. Uh, white tablecloths are also traditionally associated with fine dining. But also, I'm sure you grew up in a bunch of fucking redneck Italian places on Long Island that yeah. had shitty ass white tablecloths. Yeah, white t- 
tablecloth could mean one of two things. It's a fine dining restaurant or it's a VFW serving shit on a shingle. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's, it's one of the two. Um, so, yeah, there's no super, super qualifier. And there's different levels within fine dining. You know, right. um, there was 11 Madison Park in New York rated the number one restaurant in the world last year. Probably peak fine dining. Right. That is like peak, peak, peak. Multiple courses, multiple hours. Stuff is shaved and foamed and smoked and all that kind of stuff. What we did at 71 Above, there's no white tablecloths. We went for lunch, which makes much more casual experience. Yeah. Um, but still, you know, you'd spend well over a hundred bucks for two people. Right. Even for lunch. Right. And even even lunch. with just one drink or right, whatever. Right. Um, yeah. So it's not necessarily money. Cause like you can go to an expensive non-fine dining restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't call ink fine dining, even though it like costs a fair amount of money to eat there and it's, and they're doing interesting things. It's about the vibe of the restaurant yes. maybe. And yeah. the vibe of fine dining is not necessarily my speed yeah but if the food is good i will fucking wear a blazer or a tie <laughs> to get to it you know right. what i mean like that i can handle exactly and a but, lot a lot of it is service style too you know how do you how are you treated what's the process when you're in the restaurant right you know the truth is i think when we when we find ourselves as diners uncomfortable in a lot of restaurant circumstances it's not because the food is bad or that we don't recognize what duck breast is versus chicken breast it's that like something has happened to make us out of our element do you ever like sit down with multiple people and like everybody gets their entree except for you and then you wait an extra 10 minutes and it sort of just makes everybody uncomfortable because they don't know whether to eat and right, you're like yeah. eat but then they don't like I'm always by the way in case anyone listening here ever has a meal with me <clears throat> feel free to eat because my, my thing is when my food comes I'm going to eat so much faster than yeah, you yeah, could yeah. even imagine so don't <laughs> worry about it I will still finish before you if my food comes 10 minutes yeah late, so but no like that, that stuff matters you know right. the service side really matters the anecdote I always say my dad I grew up in a really small town in northern New York my dad is a lumberjack Jack. And like once a month, one town they over, make great breakfast. They make a huge <laughs> stack of pancakes every morning. My dad's literally like five seven and one hundred and forty pounds, and he could kick my ass. And I'm like mad on a lot of levels about it. Because you're the lumberjack. Yes, <laughs> you're exactly. genetically a lumberjack. Yes, I'm, but I'm chose six to... two and two ninety or whatever. Like my older brother's three forty and six four. Yeah, you you just chose to eat and type. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I I just found a circumventing where I didn't need to do all the hard work to get to the food. I just went. Straight to the food. Yeah. I'm the smartest rat in the lab. And that's really it. No maze for yeah. old Farley. <laughs> Chewed through enough walls till I got there. But my dad, you know, once a month when we were growing up, he would go a couple towns over to Watertown, New York, and he would eat at the Red Lobster. And, and he would do it every month. He'd wear a bolero tie, white jeans, and he'd sit in the same section because he knew there was one waiter who worked at this fucking Red Lobster that he loved and would give great service. And when that waiter left to go wherever he went, my dad stopped going to Red Lobster. It was never the Cheddar Bay Biscuits. It was just this dude who would treat him like he mattered in a restaurant you know oh man you know I think you're from a similar area from one of my best friends because Watertown is right near them. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. I, I probably fucking know him. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, former guest of the podcast from the Dead Dads episode, Justin Tyler. Oh. Um, yeah, he is from, he has a house in Lake Sylvia. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Up Great. There. Uh, but yeah, go find him, people. <laughs> <laughs> You've got all the clues. Pizzagate 2.0. <laughs> it's there, man. Read the emails, dude. <laughs> um. What was I just about? I'm screaming about. Oh, yeah. So, like, (laughs) service, that's one. Now, Red Lobster, is that fine dining to a lumberjack who never go like it's, is it is fine dining relative like yeah fine dining is absolutely relative because um, i would say red lobster 
is it comes across as the of the classiest of the fast casual places. Yes, it is. It is certainly a more upscale versus like a friendlies that is all about like having flair and yeah. singing stuff. And Outback table side. is like, look, it's you know wooden tables. Everyone's having beers and right. burgers. Right. Like, exactly. Red Lobster at least has the air of like you're at a seafood restaurant for whatever it actually may be. Totally. Part of their gimmick is that it's like, and it, I mean maybe they don't do this anywhere. I couldn't tell you the last time I went to Red Lobster, but you used to go and they they you like pick a lobster out from the tank in the front if you I don't think that's the dinner. case anymore yeah. I feel like they have lobsters living it, in like fucking brutal conditions yes I have to imagine <laughs> but it did it truly felt like something that was a, my dad made it a special occasion once a month you know right um, and, and so when he came out for my wedding a couple of years ago I tried to take uh, my whole family to places that I thought were going to be casual enough like fried chicken whatever family style things and I took him to an Italian restaurant here called Alimento and Silver Lake that I really love and I thought well it's just noodles you know they'll get it it's not spaghetti and meatballs but it's fine and what I found pretty quickly is that they were actually uncomfortable with the format of dining that everything was small shared plates so they'd get a spoon of one thing and a spoon of another that confuses an older generation yeah, absolutely Meanwhile, that that's the trend in food. I think that's helped me enjoy food the most. Yeah, is the small shareable plates because when when we were when we were first like coming up and we first started getting money and first started getting into food, we'd go to restaurants and be like. Wouldn't it be fun to just split eight appetizers right, instead of right. having any entrees and we get to try more things? And then I think restaurateurs are like, what if we serve entrees appetizer sized with entree prices yes. and told these guys it's for sharing? These assholes will buy five plates every meal. You're right. Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and we are catering to a generation of diners that is more and more likely to spl- to split and share everything. Right. And so uh, I think it really works, at least in the urban markets, you know, uh, places like Atlanta, New York, D.C., L.A. But you get into small communities and it's like, absolutely not. I went back home a few weeks ago and my older brother's like, none of this fucking family style stuff. You want fries? You get your own fries. I like- know a lot of people are like, I think I just want to get my own. I don't right. like someone serving me. Uh Pasta is one of the dishes that I will back some people up on that. Like, I hate to, like, serve myself a yeah. little bit because two bites of pasta doesn't feel like anything. Right. But, I'm I like, not, but I'll try somebody else's. Yeah. I'm definitely never splitting a soup. That's yeah, one yeah. that I really got to go my <laughs> one own One soup, way. two straws. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned the generation of sharing because my, my friends, my friends that I go out to eat with and my wife and her friends, we're like do you want to try a sip of this cocktail? Like yeah. we're like passing around mm-hmm. one drink for everyone. Oh yeah. Ooh, this is good. And there's something about our generation or at least the people I hang out with where we'll sit at a restaurant, we'll go to a restaurant we all love and sit there and just keep riffing on other restaurants we've recently been to. Oh, that yeah. You're like, oh, this is so good. This fried chicken sandwich is great. Have you had Gus's fried chicken? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I love Gus's fried chicken. Their sweet potato pie is awesome. Hey, have you had the sweet potato dessert? Like, yep. also, we're just like eight. We're doing a pattern game opening of just naming things we've eaten. Right, right. Which I don't know that much. I think that's what blockchain is. I don't know. About <laughs> yeah, I'm not 100% positive. But I think that's I'm pretty it. sure it's crypto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fat people <laughs> talking about foods in consecutive orders. If that's I can make money off that, I would, mo- I would monetize I that. <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm essentially a food Bitcoin millionaire. Oh, that's really fun. Yeah. That's smart move. Yeah. Well, uh, we should talk about the meal a little bit too. Like, yeah. um, 
71 above is, is a really beautiful place. It's got awesome views of, of downtown Los Angeles. I also think the food is really good. It's by a chef named Vartan Abgarian, who used to be at a place called Cliff's Edge, but he's been around kind of doing that mid-level dining, like a bestia or something in Los Angeles, which is energetic food, uh, high prices. It's not fine dining, but you certainly feel like you're they, going out for a special meal. And they're trying stuff. And they're really, really trying interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. I love bestia. Bestia's, yeah. a great, bestia's a great example of just like the type of... Re- like. Anytime someone visits, like my mother-in-law, whoever, anyone that likes food, we're like, let's take you to Bestia. Yeah. It's going to be expensive. We have to make reservations three three months in advance. Yeah. But you can wear jeans. Yeah. And, but it's, and you, when you go there, you're like, wait, this just seems like, and you're like, no, trust me, have the food. And then when you eat the food there, you're like, oh, yeah, this is objectively quality. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and you can not know what you're getting, but still take a bite and be like, yeah, of course it's good. Yeah. Like, that, it, I, that's what I love about a place like that. When yeah. you find a place like that where you're like, oh, yeah, it's like impenetrably good. It's like. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, I think the the format of the lunch that we had was just like basically a, a quick two course. It's meant to get you out an hour, hour and 25. Right. Um, but, but you're yeah. assuming it's for anyone who works downtown, comes over here, jumps on the elevator, shoots up 79 feet. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. 71 floors yeah. and then fucking eats. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And uh but it's it's such an interesting thing to have like a a sliver of seared duck breast for lunch and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm normally just crushing a quesadilla at this right, time." Right, right. And it feels like you can eat like a not unhealthy. Like what what did we go I got I went with beef tartare mm-hmm. as my app and then the roasted half chicken as my yeah, entree. Yeah. And, and I I got the steak as my entree and something else something vegetable to to start but like Oh no and your no yours was good. You got the hamachi. Oh yeah, I did get the hamachi but then they sent out the the vegetable. The Brussels thing. and the Brussels were kind yeah. of the highlight. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and the Brussels were super good. That's such a smart move on their part. Yeah, they don't know. I mean, they know you're a food person. They right. don't know who I am, but they're like, send out this app. And then I've been talking about those. Br- I got all my food was good, but I've been talking about that sauce that's on the Brussels <laughs> yeah. the longest. Like they know. Yeah. And Brussels sprouts to me, Brussels are one of those things where I'm just like over it. Like I right. feel like it's been too ubiquitous for the last couple of years. But then you have a good version. But then again. you have a very and you're like, oh, yeah, this isn't bacon and balsamic like I'm everyone else is doing. <laughs> this is something special. I think you called it a peanut butter vinaigrette yeah, or something. Yeah, and yeah. I felt that it's got that kind of nutty flavor almost with like a sesame oil that you'll get yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it was so good. It, yeah, it was like Thai adjacent because yes. of its peanut sauce. Yeah. Right. Um, but a fucking delight. But I will say not a, I'm not a dessert guy, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, just two giant boys splitting a dessert. <laughs> the dessert was a true highlight for yeah, me. Yeah. I never had something like and that. I mean, the, I've had, some, a, you know, like autumn dessert, you know, a, exhibit A or whatever. But this one was like, I think, a very good example of that. Totally, totally. And there's also like, you talk about getting pegged when you walk in the room, but there's a, there's a certain type of restaurant in Los Angeles and other cities that has a vested interest in knowing who I am because I write about restaurants all day long and you know we're, we're a big publication and so we can drive a lot of traffic to places if somebody makes the right impression or something like right. that um, but I'm I'm truly also just a guy who's like large in a room eating and I'm sure they're like oh yeah don't send out the fucking sorbet these guys can smell a watermelon <laughs> water from a mile right. away give them the autumn thing yeah. like that was awesome so it was like sweet potato with spicy marshmallow it was like sweet potato uh, tart yep. with uh, spicy marshmallow and then burnt cinnamon ice cream, yeah, which was like yeah. kind of the highlight for Unreal. me. Unreal. It really reminded me a little bit of the only other, like, I'm not a big dessert guy, but every once in a while I have a dessert that really stands out. And Animal had has that uh, 
bacon chocolate bar with yep. salt and pepper ice cream, which yep. I think is like one of their one of the highlights of a like dessert. a day one dish. Yeah. yeah, it's just like it's been. Yeah, it's true. Their menu changes so often, but that's one of like the eight things yep. that's always there. I can close my eyes, I think, and read the animal menu. That's how often <laughs> I've eaten. I mean, you see my proximity to it. Yes, it's uh, exactly like a half mile walk from my door to, or as I like to say it, one large joint. <laughs> if I walk out of my house, light a joint. By the time I'm turning on the Fairfax, I'm putting it out, walking directly into animal <laughs> high as fuck and going ham on some fucking poutine. Burn it in the face of some teenager <laughs> waiting for Supreme to yeah, open. Yeah, I am literally get eyeballed all the time by all the dudes waiting for Supreme because <laughs> they're like, this guy reeks more like weed than we do. And he's an adult. <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah, I, I really love changing, changing a teenager's perception of what an adult can be just by being yourself. Right, yeah. You're like, no, I, I woke up at one today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm married. Yeah, <laughs> yeah mar- marriage is like completely different. And also, look at my lifestyle. It's <laughs> right. totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people that. I'm like, trust me, you can live a shitty life. Because that's the thing a lot of people are nervous about getting married that they can't do the thing they do. And I'm like, well, the trick is to not have a day job while your wife has a day job. Yes. That's 100%. <laughs> true. I live a full different life from like 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> and I, as you can tell, I mean, this is why you have to, you get certain certain texts for me when you decide to go to fine dining with me I'm like hey is this like a shirt and tie place or like a shirt because as you can see this is what I'm in daily yeah hemp shoes sweats and a sweatshirt hemp shoes I know I've got hemp slides on in case you're wondering if I'm chasing the dude's lifestyle as much as possible what were those like um those like multicolored like pullover hoodies that like oh, weed guys the would wear? or drug rugs yeah the drug rugs you're you're the guy who's like I can't not wear hemp but I know that those are socially unacceptable. <laughs> right, right. Let me go to the shoes. <laughs> I, I, I wanted one of those Bajas so bad, and specifically in like a pinkish color. Oh, yeah. And I saw one down on Alameda. Is that like yes. a little... Uh, and I was chasing it but of course because they're made by Mexican people for Mexican people <laughs> nothing fit me of course. I'm, like, they're, I'm like do you have anything in a double X they're like we have this one and it's just like a black hoodie they're like we don't make it usually people your size don't want to stand out yeah <laughs> okay fair enough fair enough fair enough Look at this guy. He's like a walking ad for a kidney replacement center. <laughs> oh, it's just the pink Baja. Slap a giant Baja on this fuck. Um, what a, what other fine dining experiences have you enjoyed? Because I think we've both eaten at Providence, right? Yeah, I, I've done all the LA ones. I've done Providence. I've done Melise. Um, Which one's Melise? Melise is out in Santa Monica. It's Josiah Citron's place. Oh. I actually think it's kind of the most interesting out of the, the traditional fine dining restaurants of Los Angeles because they're only a couple of blocks off the ocean. Josiah is like a really laid back dude, surfer guy who's been doing this kind of casual fine dining restaurant for years. And when you go in now, there's a lot of old folks who like, are sitting in the corner booth and want their anniversary. But now there's also this whole generation of like young Asian mainlanders who have money from their family and are coming over to the United States to spend it. And they will just run a table 10 deep and they know all the good stuff. They want the truffles. They want foie gras. They want like good old bottles of wine. And yeah, so- I'm seeing like a lot of young Asian people, uh, anecdotally uh, stereotyping, but I've seen a lot of young Asian people who are heavy into food. Oh, yeah. And it's like they they are at the place that is like it makes me think uh, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up your own ass, but like 
there are people in other countries reading Eater or Jonathan Gold, you right, know, like right. who are like, when we go to LA, I trust these places. Cause like you'll see them at like, you'll see a group of Asian tourists be at like a restaurant that you've like, you know, is pretty like they'll be mm-hmm. at son of a gun or something, you know, yeah, and you're like, yeah. how'd you hear about this? And then they're like ordering the fried chicken sandwich and they know what to order. And you're yeah. like, Oh shit, dude, <laughs> you guys are, I, and then here I am, I go to Barcelona and if you don't think I have like a fucking page of recommendations, right. I watch Phil's episode on Barcelona, yep. I watch Bourdain's Barcelona right. and I'm like all geared up, ready to go. I'm like, oh, it's so small minded of me to not assume people <laughs> from are doing elsewhere. it the other yeah, way. doing it the other way around. Yeah. And what we're also forgetting too is that, you know, Los Angeles is a city, the metro population is 12, 13 million. We're only 22% white. Right. So there are 2 million mainland first, second generation Chinese people living in the San Gabriel Valley right now who have almost no interest in going to downtown to eat because they can get better versions of things from their home communities right in their neighborhoods in La Puente and La Habra and stuff like that. Oh, where did I where did I go in uh, San Gabriel with? Uh, I went to Elite Cuisine. Yeah, oh, so fucking. Ah, uh, that's great. It was fucking awesome. I've been man. trying to do like dim sum Sundays with friends of mine and just like get the carts, go bring twelve folks and just like crush it. Oh, dude, yeah, that sounds like a solid Sunday. It, it's so, and you walk out and it's like thirteen bucks a person. Like it's it, comical. It's crazy the way it works too like yeah. you're just like pointing at pictures mm-hmm. on a menu you know it it's i love going to a place in america that makes me feel uncomfortable like uncomfortable in a good way of like i don't think anyone here speaks english yeah i don't think they care you know <laughs> and i'm like just pointing at stuff and they're like yeah. uh-huh okay you know gaijin here you go <laughs> I, I just got back over the weekend from the Valle de Guadalupe, which is Mexico's largest wine producing region. It's up in Baja Norte. So it's just south of Tijuana by about an hour, hour and a half. And most of the wine that they produce stays in Mexico because especially for California, import laws are such that they want to keep the wine producing regions of California stronger than they would Mexico. Right. And so you can go down there and just hop from winery to winery. There's these beautiful outdoor restaurants. We had a place called Finca Altozano, which is a really famous restaurant by a chef named Javier Placencia. Javier comes from a family in Tijuana that is like restaurant royalty. They own a restaurant down there that I couldn't tell you the name of off the top of my head, but they like literally created the Caesar salad. Like it's that kind of old school family oh, thing. Oh, that's awesome. But you, ate, you eat at this place, Finca Altozano, and it's these beautiful views of the valley, and you can't believe that you're so lucky to be there. And we all, we I went on a tour with a bunch of friends, and so we'd all prepaid in advance for, for dinner, but if you wanted drinks, it was extra. And I was like, listen, I'll pay for it on my card. Everybody just Venmo me at the end. And we got bottles of wine and cocktails and beer and drinks. And it was 150 bucks. <laughs> and that's like one bottle of wine, maybe two if you're feeling thrifty yeah. at a restaurant in Los Angeles. Yeah, dude. That And did you like rent like a van or something? Yeah, like we had that? a 16 person van. And we do you do a stop in Tijuana. We had my, one of my favorite places in Tijuana called Tacos Aron. And it's this like morning birria. So it's like stewed goats that they stew overnight. And then they put in these tortillas and you can get them crisped up if you want to. So they're like Tacos Dorado style, like crunchy. And then they give you consomme on the side which is basically oh. all the stuff that they're stewing it in and braising it in overnight it just in a cup with cilantro and onions you just drink it, it and it's a little bit spicy oh, oh that sounds this fucking is the perfect awesome. hangover cure I've, i'm gonna have to set up one of these trips with Dude, my friends anytime and, you want to go it's so fun <laughs> yeah this sounds like a blast because we we're we're big wine country people we'll, yeah. but like we don't want to f- go all the way up to norcal we go to los olivos like right quarterly but i think that might be a good mix-up yeah and it's, it. it's fine like and there's there's the group that i went with i've been going through them 
them for years. It's called Club Tango Hombre. They have another one in Mexico City, and they'll just take people on tours. A lot of it is in-country folks, like Mexican, intra-Mexican tourism. And then they'll just also let people walk over the border. They got a bus on the Tijuana side. They pick you up. There's Mezcal on the bus. And you're just like rolling. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to that's, drive. So it's like food tourism. Yeah, essentially. Oh, that's so awesome. Is there stuff like that in LA? There's got to be, for I'm sure. assuming. Because that's the shit that really, that's the shit that intrigues. Like, I, I know a guy, Scott uh, Wiener in New York, who mm-hmm. runs Scott's Pizza Tours. Right. And he's like connected to all the good pizza guys around New York. And he, the, uh, the tours leave uh, and go to three places in mainland Manhattan. And then on the weekends, they hit one outer borough. Oh, nice. And one of the tours for a while was running through Gravesend, Brooklyn, which is like deep Brooklyn, mm-hmm. far from Manhattan, where a dude was cooking, pe- a guy who owned a pizzeria, it was pretty famous, I forget his name now, but he was cooking pizza out of a pizza oven in his backyard, and the bus would awesome. stop by every Saturday, and he would have pizzas made for everyone. Dude, I love <laughs> that's that. such a cool, I love shit like that. So yeah. that's so cool to know. Of course that exists. Yeah. But I, when you, you, in your head, like being fucking a uh, classist, you'd be like well that doesn't happen in mexico like you get on a bus here in los angeles pay a thousand dollars and they drive but of course that exists yeah of course yeah all you basically for this tour all you have to do is make it to the border by 9 a.m so we had parents who drove down from la early in the morning we had friends who stayed at airbnbs or stayed at a hotel in san diego the train will take you right there oh, right, and then right. you just walk across the border get on the bus and it's all day and they drop you back off at night it's a one-day tour oh that sounds fucking yeah great. yeah um but to your point about this backyard pizza guy there's uh, a real huge scene of like underground food here in Los Angeles as well. Not just street stuff that you see every day walking yeah, around. You, you actually posted something recently that uh, Phil had talked talk to me about that burger place. Burgers that's like never a, say die. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I gotta try that. Dude, anytime you want to go. It's fun. It's really, <laughs> really fun. I went uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and not to blow up too many spots, but like the, where, where this guy is situated, it's his house and he parks uh, a burger set up in his driveway and just cooks all day. But they try to keep it a little bit off street. So he's got a car at the front of his driveway so you can't really see him. But he's situated right at the end of a grocery store. And if you parked at the far end of the grocery store, you just walk over to this guy's house. And I pull into that spot and there's a McLaren over there. And I'm like, yo, somebody is here. <laughs> and it's uh, Tyler, the creator, eating a burger with like a bunch of other famous people and Robert Pattinson from like the Twilight movies. Oh, and they're and all just hanging out and friends eating burgers. I'll take this opportunity to maybe say to shout out also possibly from my favorite 2017 movie, Good Time. Oh. Oh. If you haven't seen that yet, Pattinson's in it, and he's a fuck. He's a true actor. Ooh, I gotta he, watch it. Uh, he's not. To me, he's no longer uh, what's his name, Twilight guy, Twilight Edward. Guy. Edward, yes, Edward Cullen. He's now <laughs> to me like a, he's so good in Good Time. It's like, I think it's the best movie of the year. Nice. Did you see the Rover? No, he's in the Rover from a couple of years ago, and he's really fantastic. Uh, yeah, I think he's like he's shaking off his like yeah. vampire days, and he's yeah. demonstrating that he's a solid act. Oh, dude. It's funny that you bring up Tyler, the creator, now mm-hmm. that we've also talked about Fairfax, mm-hmm. which is where I see Tyler, the creator, weekly. Every day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's just like, skate, like, it, uh, that's what I love about LA is that, like, there is that element of, like, th- there are mega famous people that live mm-hmm. here, but they do also have to live a life. Yeah, So, exactly. like, th- there's, like, an element to that of just, like... Oh, I was standing outside of uh, Animal the other night, and Tyler, the creator, was kick flipping down the line. You know, right. he was like skating with his boys yeah. earlier. I I've like, been in John and Vinny's on Fairfax when Kanye West walked in for a pickup order, <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, Kanye West eats pizza. Of course and, he does. And yeah. I, he 
fucking probably reads Eater. Because like <laughs> I, we want to blow up John and Vinny's as the next cool spot as much as anybody else. And he figures out how to get there like for sure. The greatest example, and this ties back to the, we're talking about mainland Asian people um, coming and, and spending their money here. Uh, there's a, an underground barbecue place called Trudy's Underground Barbecue. And there's this guy who's like a 50 year old Israeli dude who smokes, I think the best Texas style barbecue in his backyard in Studio City. He does, you know, he doesn't need the money. He's got a family of his own, three daughters running around, but he makes incredible barbecue because he cares and the way that like I found out about this guy pretty early on wrote a story he started getting a little bit more traction now he's got whatever 20,000 Instagram followers and you got to DM him on Instagram to get this stuff so a couple a young couple from Thailand read my article found this guy on Instagram started following him for a year before they came to the states they DM'd him on a day that I happened to be in this guy's backyard just hanging out with him and they were like hey we just landed can we come get barbecue and he's like yeah come on up so this couple they're 22 fresh off the boat first time they've ever been to America are on a, in an Uber on their way to eat backyard barbecue from this guy. And the crazy kicker is he wasn't just doing regular Texas style barbecue that day. He had made like a pastrami style beef rib. So oh. he brined it and all you know, for days and then smoked it. And so this couple showed up like wide eyed and you have to explain to them like what underground food is, what Texas style barbecue is, what the pastrami version of Texas style underground right, they're barbecue they're like is. Eight- if they leave and that's their idea of like American food, it's like, yeah, you eat in someone's backyard and it's like uh, Jewish Southern, right, you know, media. Right. That's so funny. And it's the Wild West. Yeah. Oh. But that's also true uh, in, in my book. You know, I, I uncover a lot of these old letters and, and dispatches where people would come to Los Angeles in the 1880s and talk about how they thought that there were no indoor restaurants because there were so many people selling street food even back then that you never made it to the second level of the sit down restaurant. You just we need everything off the streets. We, we we really harness our good weather in that way. Yes. In that like, even like restaurants that aren't like Jitlada is an indoor restaurant, but it's always so slow and right. so packed that 40 people could be just milling around yep. and it's not pouring on them or freezing on you. You know, you can yeah. wait in line for Hal and Ray's. You can stand outside uh, Cactus Taco waiting uh-huh. on your fucking pest store. Like, it allows you to do so much, the fancy weather here. And you you forget that. Yeah, you really, I mean, even when it's like cold, it's crisp, but perfectly bright and cloudless. Right. Like, you wouldn't want to be in like Brooklyn in late January waiting in line an hour for some sort of nouveau pizza joint. Right. You fucking be like, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to New Orleans next week. And oh. it's, uh, I mean, talk about a fucking food city. But that, the weather there will turn on a dime. And if you are not like footwear and umbrella prepared, fuck waiting for anything outside. Oh, no. Fuck that. Yeah. Oh, shit, dude. I can't wait for you. I'm so jealous. I <laughs> my, my wife just the other day randomly said to me, he's like, she goes, we need a New Orleans trip. I was like, yo, we have no money. We just got back from Europe. We just spent 11 <laughs> days in Europe over Christmas. We have no money. Pump the brakes on this New Orleans shit. But? But <laughs> you, a frozen Irish iced coffee from Aaron Rose Cafe is maybe the best beverage I've ever had in yeah. my entire life. <laughs> have you have you done like Little Jewel of New Orleans down here in Chinatown in Los Angeles? Uh, no. It's like a deli, really casual, doing New Orleans food, poor boys and stuff. It's like... You know, it'll get you 80% of the way there. Like, if you guys are tight on money for six months or to, like <laughs> you do want to just wait, um, go there and be like, oh, I'm a little satisfied. Yeah, and then okay, I can cool, plan it later. Cool, yeah. Cool. Yeah. New, like, I, I'm realizing more and more that some of my favorite things, like, I love food that tastes good, mm-hmm. um, but I also really like vibes. And, like, I f- I'm finding more and more that sh- TV shows and movies and restaurants that I really like put out a certain vibe. And, yeah. and often the vibe isn't like, 
at least if they're trying to get that vibe, I'm not detecting the effort. So like that's important. But like New Orleans has just the city as its whole is like you just get off and you're like, yeah, some, a lot of people are too in the vibe, but the other 90% Lost of the, the sauce. Yeah, there, yeah. yeah, there's just some people who are a little, you know, a little have gone uh, full Colonel Kurtz of like <laughs> adapting to the current lifestyle of New Orleans, but the rest, everyone is just like, uh, you know, three quarters buzzed and yeah. enjoying themselves. And it just really permeates the entire vibe, like the entire country, uh, city. Yeah. We, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles now are going to go play in the Super Bowl here in a couple of weeks. And all the news articles, as soon as they were starting to win, is that there's a, a patrol specifically designated for the city to go out and put Crisco on lampposts right. so that like dudes can't climb up and wreak havoc. And I was like, I kind of wish I lived in a city like that. Like I want a little more of that in my city than I currently get. My friend Joe Wingard is from, uh, you know, Joe mm-hmm. from Philly. And he's, uh, he said, win or lose, uh, I will not survive the city. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter if Philly wins or loses, shit's going down in Philadelphia in, in two weeks, no matter what. Right, right. This is a really hard Super Bowl for me as a Giants fan. It's like two arch nemeses squaring off. Yeah, you really want no one to succeed. Yeah, um, I think... I'm going to maybe root for the Pats. I think you have to. Just because they have enough Super Bowls that it's like, what's one more? Right. You know what I mean? And you still get to hang that like, we're the only ones to beat them. Exactly, exactly. But I think it's anybody's game, which terrifies me. But Tom Brady is... I, and I, I'll kick my own ass for saying this, but Tom Brady's fucking good at football. Yeah, he's <laughs> he sacrificed literally every other aspect of his life. Yeah, to personality. Like, yeah, to earn <laughs> to earn money and football accolades. Yeah. but like people can do that. I've sacrificed a good bit of my life to eat food. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're sacrificing a lot of stuff in life to be maybe the best football player currently and to fuck Giselle, like I think. <laughs> I think you've got it okay. You know, I'm not going right. to not gonna feel sympathy anytime soon for Mr. Brady. <laughs> oh, this poor guy. Yeah, but to your point about vibes, like, this goes back to the fine dining thing. Uh, sometimes these places just represent themselves as too stuffy, you know? Yeah. I want to be able to, like, be a boisterous character. I want to be able to laugh. I want to not have to, like, fucking pretend that I know every technique that's gone into this persimmon that you've, like, dehydrated, rehydrated, smoked, and crumbled. It can be okay for it to just be food sometimes yeah oh, that's interesting and but there is a movement away from that stuffiness is sort totally. of coming away from restaurants because i think they realize yes there are old moneyed people who mm-hmm. want to spend money on mm-hmm. restaurants but they're the the real at least in these cities in my experience like uh, new york brooklyn and uh, new york and la and stuff the uh the people who are spending money at these restaurants are the 25 to 40 year olds who don't have kids and have money or have kids, but got the babysitter for the right. night to try night market song or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. There's so. a lot of, of what's happening in the restaurant industry sort of mirrors America where it's, it's haves and haves nots. The kind of middle is cratering. So 40 seat neighborhood restaurants that offer good food at a casual price point are fewer and fewer far between, you know, Bestia is a big property, but it being so busy and so casual still is kind of the exception that proves the rule. Most other places are starting to really, really feel that pinch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, places like Vespertine here in Culver City, like, you know, uh, it was I went, it was $2,000 for four people to eat. Like that restaurant is ethereal and odd and very expensive and will get to exist on its own in the same way that like a proliferation of food halls get to exist on its own where the right. middle starts to have problems. Right, right, right. Uh, Vespertine is the one that's like 
that one's like a full, uh, like a day experience, right? Yeah, uh, my meal was five and a half hours. <laughs> they described the the building and the they described the building as a spaceship from a different planet in time. Uh, they described the cuisine as something that has never been before conceived. Uh, I've asked the chef in person, like, does this restaurant have any heart at its base? Like, we all usually use grandmother terms to describe cooking. Yeah, we like you love hearing the stories. Like, I grew up on a certain, and I just trying to chase the comfort I would feel. Right, eating larb right. at grandma's. House. Like you with. Weed and brazole, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. Give me a joint and a chicken parm. That's why John John and Vinny's have a fucking they're pretty their restaurant's not too far from here either. Yeah. And they have a direct like crossbow that it shoots from their restaurant directly into my heart, where it's like, <laughs> we've got chicken parm where the edges are a little crispy and yeah. it's super hammered out thin, and you're high right now. And it's like, <laughs> I am. And like, ah! That was maybe the best chicken parm I've had since coming out west. Yeah. Yeah. John and Vinny's chicken parm. Yeah. We- Holy shit we just don't have the uh the strong italian component like you do back east you know there's no little italy in los angeles right that's like the only thing that's missing out here and the and deli culture yes like yeah. that's the thing that i miss the most i mean I, again it's so hard to have a conversation about new york and la and not feel like <laughs> I mean, i've been living here now for over five years right but um the shit where that's like the, those are the two things that they don't have out here and it's and I, I mean bagels yeah but it's not enough to dismiss the city anymore you know right, what I mean right. like pe- there's so much more than pizza in this world yes exactly <laughs> and I can find pretty good versions of most of those things the one thing I think that I really really feel east coast versus west coast is the lack in Los Angeles of a sustained Greek food community that you know you have to get like you have to go Greek adjacent into like Mediterranean, Middle Eastern to yeah. try to get like only a handful of places have gyro meat. They'll have shawarma, but they won't have gyro. Right, right. Yeah. And we, we do like Lebanese and Armenian food like nobody's fucking business. But like old school Greek, modern Greek places, they don't really exist. Like the versions we have, you ever been to Papa Christos? Yes. Yeah. Papa Christos is like a guy whose name is literally Chris S. Chris. He's four foot eight, maybe. He just is like huge mustache. Every time you see a photo of him, he's got the big belly, both arms out. Hey! <laughs> and that's just who he is. And you can go to his place and get Spanakopita and things like that. But it's all just kind of casual and nobody really cares. He has the spices, though. He makes those yes. spices because uh, I have some friends that swear by oh, really? Papa Christos seasonings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that whole, it used to be called the Byzantine Latino Quarter. It was a, a vastly uh, and densely Greek neighborhood for a long time. And now it's a mix of, of Central Americans and Koreans and the Greeks have all basically left for the suburbs. Yeah, weird. That's another one I guess I never even noticed wasn't around, you know? Yeah. And uh, there is also a lack of diners, which right. are traditionally a Greek-owned uh, yeah. business. But yeah. I, I've heard, you know, you go to Astoria and it's just like you throw a rock and hit a great Greek restaurant or at least a half-decent one. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's what I always thought too, like, you know, a friend of mine just moved here from New York and last night she's like, but where are the slice joints out here? And I'm like, don't just don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, you're right. There's not that many. But, you know, you're in your 30s. You don't need to eat slices of pizza anymore. And like, also, there's like other food out here. And uh, I fucking trust me when I go to New York, if I don't <laughs> grab a fucking slice at some point, you yeah. know, I, I will, of course. Yeah. You but know what? You know where your slice places are here? They're masquerading as taco trucks and they're better. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> yeah. And switch from a, yeah, switch switch from a pizza to a fucking uh, a couple of tacos and you'll be ha- happy. Yes, absolutely. Like I think there's a lot of good pizza in Los Angeles and it and it varies in style, but I'll take uh, the proliferation proliferation of Mexican food over anything else. Yeah, I mean I, I'm a fan. I think the thing that people 
forget is that like in New York, there's gonna be there's gonna be great pizza places in LA, but in New York, it's like the median slice of pizza is decent. Like right. that's the thing, and it's like three on every block, and right. at the worst one you're gonna have is gonna be like, well, that was a pretty solid slice, <laughs> and that's how I feel about like delis and sandwiches in New York too, where it's like there. On any corner, you can get a fucking ham and cheese on a roll or whatever, right. or a ham, egg, and cheese, or, uh, you know, uh, a Italian combo. In L.A., it's like, where am I going to get that? And right. if you can just shift that from, like, you need, you know, like, just make breakfast at home in L.A. or, like, just <laughs> just uh, buy a juice. <laughs> you, can, right. you can If you can switch from bacon, egg, and cheese and a coffee to You'll something else, you can, you can live here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I understand, like, that's something you just get so accustomed to. Like yeah. I've in the last few years had to adapt to just making coffee at home, which is right. really not a problem right. and way more financially viable <laughs> and actually more convenient than having to like bundle up and walk and go buy a coffee. Not right. that you bundle up here, but I'm just not that close to coffee shops around yeah. here. Like, I'm yeah. close where it's like, oh, I'll go, I can go hang out and have a cup of coffee. But like in New York, it'd be like, I'll be back in five minutes with my coffee and right. breakfast and be ready to go. Yeah. yeah. And it's all just like post-consumer product that's going to immediately get thrown in the trash. But you're just like, whatever. It's, yeah. it's at arm's length as soon as I left my building. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a lot more that goes into it here. That's for sure. Yeah. But I also think that that's... For me, as a guy who covers the food scene in Los Angeles, that's value added because I want to be exploring places that other people aren't touching that much. If you take South LA, which is roughly defined as the neighborhood just south of the 10 here um, before you get to like the complete South Bay or Long Beach, square miles wise, it's larger than the entire island of Manhattan. Right. And, you know, maybe two stories a week on Eater, I write six stories a day, will be about South LA to say nothing of any other publication. And there is a uh, an underserved demographic there that is eager to have quality conversations about the same stuff that they're already eating. Right. So, uh, you know, I don't mind that I don't have a great Creole or Cajun restaurant near me because it gives me the opportunity to go eat that stuff in a place I wouldn't normally be. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm kind of with you on that where it's like, if it, then go seek it out. If right. It's not, it's not in your neighborhood. That's fine. Go seek it out or move to a neighborhood that has the exact food you need it to have. But that sounds insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, that is a huge area. Cause that's, that's where, as someone who's currently interested in real estate, is like that's where I, I still can't afford it, but mm -hmm. that's where I could foreseeably afford to buy a place is totally. below the ten, yeah, which kind of buries you away from everything you have to do if you're a UCB person or like yeah, and having podcast guests over to your house when you say you live below the ten and they all live in Atwater, yeah, is a, a little, little tough. <laughs> it's a little tough, but I'm looking at and it's like, yeah, wait drive down there and there's a lot of houses and some businesses, but then you're like, this is going to be popping off yeah. soon. As soon like the second there's an influx of money and into that neighborhood, people are going to be the second gentrification starts, I guess the, the, I mean, there's going to be, there's good restaurants there already, but they're going to start seeking out those properties. It's totally. Like, yeah. Totally. You know, you have Daniel Patterson from San Francisco, his restaurant group Alta is putting a restaurant in West Adams, just South of the 10. That's going to be a beautiful fine dining, kind of finer dining all day component with a cafe attached. You know, there's a lot that's happening down that way. The first place I ever lived in Los Angeles was on Slauson, like <laughs> in, in the real thick of it, you know? And, and yeah. We just wrote a story about a place called Simply Wholesome down there that's been around for, I think, 33 years doing um, 
kind of South LA's version of healthy food and, and how it's a real crux for the black community there. And, and it's like fascinating stuff. So I don't think that while gentrification is going to be an issue and already is an issue for many parts of Los Angeles, I think you're going to see that community stand up the way that Boyle Heights has stood up and just say, you can take some of it, but we need to keep our cultural identity intact. Yeah. And, and that's, that's fucking great. cool. Yeah, yeah. That's the move. That's the way to do it is like, we'll take your influx of money and tax payments for this area and yeah. you know, whatever, but you're not closing down. Not every Everything here is going to be an Erewhon or right, whatever. Right, yeah. and, and we've all got to learn to be good neighbors because I bought a house relatively recently and we were looking in Boyle Heights and I love Boyle Heights. I spent a lot of my time in Boyle Heights. I speak a little Spanish. Boyle Heights is under no obligation to love me back, you know, right. and, and I could buy my home that I would choose to live in off of a lovely old couple who actually wanted to sell because their house was suddenly worth a lot more money than what they paid for and be doing everybody a service in the neighborhood. But it's about more than that. It's about what I represent being on the block as a guy who's wearing fucking styled out throwback Reeboks and a green button up. Like (laughs) (laughs) you gotta be willing to take the larger picture. Yeah, no, it's so true. There is like that weird tip of the gentrification spear thing where you're like, I'm here under good auspices, I promise. And they're like, I don't care. You're white and you're... I know what comes next. Yeah, yeah. I have to move. Yeah, there's a place in Boyle Heights called Weird Wave Coffee that it was run by a Venezuelan dude and a couple of white guys. And they were well-meaning enough, but didn't really have the uh, wherewithal to... Oh, shit, secret guest, dude. Um, they, they didn't really have the wherewithal to, to talk more openly and honestly with the community before they opened up. They just thought, oh, Weird Wave, we're kind of at the fringes of what's cool. And it's like, yo, man, you cannot talk about like discovering anything. When you were in Boyle Heights, the most like traditionally Hispanic and prior to that Jewish neighborhood, one of the oldest neighborhoods in all of Los Angeles. Right, right. And so they just got like fucking bricks put through their window because they, as a coffee shop, without the right dialogue up front, represent everything that's bad about what's happening. Right, right. Yeah. A coffee, a, a high-end weird coffee shop, literally with weird in the yeah, title, right. is like the is the parody version of what gentrifies a neighborhood. Yep, 100%. Like, of what is disliked. Yeah. yeah. There's a dude who a couple of years ago started a, a downtown taco truck called uh, White Boy Tacos. It's like a little cart on the street. And it's like, White Boy Tacos, ah, okay, I'm, I'm like whatever on the name. But in his like Yelp description that he gets to write for himself, he's like, yeah, I just discovered there's no good tacos in downtown Los Angeles. So I thought I would come in. I'm like, let me stop you right there, buddy. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I gotta geez. stop you. Yeah, be, don't let anyone else hear you say that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, White Boy Tacos just made me think of, I ate at a food truck in Austin that was sort of like uh, shawarma wraps one Mm -hmm. time, and it Mm -hmm. was just like, do you want it spicy? I'm like, a little bit spicy, and they're like, well, and they point to their spice chart, and it just says, white people spicy? It says no spice, white people spicy, brown people spicy. (laughs) Those are the three choices. Great. (laughs) I was like, I'll take white people spicy? They're like, smart move. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and it was exactly what you wanted, I bet. exactly what I wanted. I was like, yes, all right, thank you. Have you done done the hot chicken at Howland Ray's in Chinatown? No, I have not. Yeah. I went and saw the line after eating. We were chasing a general, so it was one of my first meals with uh, Phil and Zach Brooks and Mm -hmm. that crew. I went down there and we ate at a Chinese food place. It was really good. I forget what they were known for. Yang Chow, maybe the slippery shrimp. The slippery shrimp. (laughs) Once I said I knew it was like a weird sexually suggestive (laughs) seafood dish, slippery shrimp was what it was. And then we went over to get coffee in that little compound and I was like, oh my God, Howlin' Ray's. I'd want to get in line right now. I got to do it. I got to do it at some point. Yeah, we'll do it soon. It's, It's very good, but they've got six or seven different spice levels and like the 
triple X like Howlin level is it's not fun. Like it's no. it's actually a bummer. Yeah. Right. I think some of those exist just solely to be like, fuck you if you are yeah. this. Yeah, and, and there are people, Danny Chow, who's a great writer, he writes for the ringer now. He does a lot of food stuff. He's a dude who grew up like eating bird's eye peppers by the fucking handful because his family would like just feed them to him as a kid. And so for him, like the XXX Howlin is like nothing, but a guy like me, it's like, uh, can I get medium plus? Or That'll like fuck up my whole day. Yeah. yeah like yeah. that shit'll just ruin my life. I'm usually ordering uh spiciness the same way I order wine. One up from bottom barrel. There like, we go. You know, it's like, what's the cheapest wine? I'll take the second cheapest. <laughs> what's the what's the le- what's the one that's one above, not spicy. Yeah, <laughs> I'll yeah. take that. Yeah, when the sommelier walks by and all you want to do is talk price. Yeah, it's he's like, like this what, fucking. Are we table. looking fifty or sixty, <laughs> sir? Tell the truth. Don't you fuck me on this? Uh, <laughs> are you? Uh, I mean, because a lot of your your food, at least from the articles I've read of yours in the book, it's like you know, it's a lot of street food, not mm-hmm. not so much fine dining. How much does like? Like how much fine dining or how much eating goes along with like beverages? You know what I mean? Like, cause it's hard not to like in my head, you go out to dinner, you have a cut, like even right. at lunch and I'm trying not to drink that much in January yeah. at lunch. It was like, I almost did the wine pairing. Yeah. <laughs> it's two <laughs> courses. Yeah, yeah. I almost went, yeah, I'll have two glasses of wine right now. I'm like, I Ubered. I'm like, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that. But I was like, how much of that do you have to like try drinks? I'm just curious. Cause that yeah. would be my, my, my reviews would all be like, yeah, I smoked a joint right outside before I went in there. I had four beers and a <laughs> couple of hariscos yeah. and uh, the Alpes store is fantastic. People yeah, are like, yeah. Jesus, I can't and trust I, your I review. barely remember it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it depends like, uh, most of the time, if a restaurant, if I'm going to a restaurant, say unannounced, and I'm just having dinner by myself, whatever, um, I stick to the food. I'll maybe get a cocktail if they have a full cocktail bar. Um, wine, I try to not do unless it's for a particular occasion, just because it all adds up. Like I'm doing, you know, like if you're eating two meals out a day, right. seven days a week, right. you can't have fourteen glasses. Yeah, of wine. exactly. Even if I just have one glass every place, it's like too much. Plus, on the nights that I happen to be home with my wife or want to catch a drink with a friend, like all that stuff adds up too. So, um, right, because sometimes you want to have a meal for fun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, if it's a if it's a particular place that has a bar, and I haven't been. There before and I want to check it out. I'll get a cocktail just to kind of see if they're doing the classics well, what kind of fun stuff they might have. But I, I try not to do too much of that stuff. I haven't been like drunk, drunk at a restaurant in a long time, which is I. It comes with the territory. I wouldn't want to make a fool of myself or something, you know? Right? Because you may have to be back there for work, or they might have to be like, "Yeah, so and so from Eater was in here last night, fucking stumbling around." Right? Yeah. Right? Like I'm already very aware of of. Like I try to wear a version of this same outfit every day. I just want to be a fucking Dilbert cartoon <laughs> yeah. so that like nobody notices me <laughs> as much as possible. And I'm very aware of the perception when people meet me for the first time of them going like, oh, that's what he looks like or something right, like that, right. that I don't want to add being a fucking sloppy drunk asshole on top of that. <laughs> right. Hey, yeah, sure. This is good food you got here. All yeah. right. See you and later. Somebody got to plunge that toilet. Yeah. Uh, that's the last thing you need is like you write an article and then the first comment is like, I saw this guy eating there. He was a shit show. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, exactly. Oh, sorry. <laughs> exactly right. My best case scenario for like getting the information before anybody else in this business is to know people, be nice and do a good job. Right. And if I'm losing on one of those three because I come off as a, an asshole or a drunk? No way. What made you get into 
food this much? Well, there's kind of there's there's a couple different levels to it. Like um, the base level is uh, I moved to LA doing comedy stuff, and I really liked it, and I was super dead broke, and so I would drive my motorcycle back down to Slauson every night, and I would stop at a new taco place because for five bucks you could eat like a king. And then I'm Type A enough that I'm like, oh, let's go to a couple. Okay, let's go to five. Let's go to twenty. And I went to 125 in my first year, and I used to have a Google map, and I'd put little pins down for what I liked and stuff. Um, you were just keeping track of little carts and trucks that yeah. you were like, actually, this place has the better carnet, you know? Right, like, right. And, and then you'd hear from people, oh, if you like that place, you got to go to this place. Then I'd drive out farther and farther. And I, I, my friend Brett, who was my roommate at the time, was like totally down to go out and eat with me. We'd hit three or four places in a night. Oh, we like this. We like that more, whatever. And eventually I got to the point where I was getting a little bit of money doing comedy stuff, coaching improv, things like that, and getting a little bit of money writing about food. I still had a day job. They realized I could leave my day job and do both. But then once I was only doing both, it was like, well, what's the most fun thing? Like right. I'd gotten on Herald Night and I was doing that, but I was never the guy who's like, I want to get the best manager. I want to go be in every audition. I would hear dudes doing an audition that I was sitting in the waiting room for better than I knew I was capable of doing. I hear them <laughs> through the door. I'm like, why the fuck am I here? Like, and and, and like, the, I would book him too. Right, right. <laughs> I'd, put my, I'd pick my resume back up off the desk and go, yeah, hire that guy. I'm going to save all of us time and I'm going to go get some tacos. Right. And, and then every comedy person that I knew when they found out I knew enough about tacos or something, they would be like, oh, you tell Tell me, you tell me, give me your information. Yeah. So I'm really started doing was just monetizing information that I already had. And then I was able to do that enough to make a full time living. And now it's great. Like there's not that many people who do what I do for a living in Los Angeles. It's maybe four of us, five right. full time money writing about restaurants. But like the pool of people that are also trying to do it is way smaller than a UCB or and trying, trying to, to make it an entertainment. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, that's like the top level. The other level is like, what do I really want? I want people to like me and think that I'm interesting. And as like an always fat kid, can I just eat free food as like a part of that equation? Sure. My like first performances as a child were like, look how much I can eat. Yes. You know what I mean? Yep. Would be like at the soccer car wash eating 12 slices of pizza at like 14 years old. And everyone being <laughs> like, holy shit, Gabrus is a machine. And I'm like, attention. Yes. Attention. Yes. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, uh, one of my earliest like on stage memories, I was like a, in 4-H as a little kid. And oh, I, me too. I, oh, there you That's go. Really funny one week every summer i went to 4-h camp in riverhead <laughs> yeah. long island i got to go to the national 4-h convention in maryland and it was a whole week and we were there the whole time and at the end they did this thing where um it was like a, a series of little games and challenges that they did on stage and they took all the leftover breakfast food and they blended it up and they put it in these three buckets and you're supposed to like look like slop and you're supposed to reach in and like the first one to find this pin won a prize and i was on stage and the guy next to me found a pin and he was getting all the applause and so i took my hand out full of this breakfast slop and I licked it from elbow <laughs> to fingertip being like it's just breakfast stuff it's gotta be fine and you have never seen a room turn against you as quickly as that <laughs> because people are like that gets fucking disgusting, and I had to like drippy hand walk off stage. But I thought I would, I thought I would get some sort of praise for it. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to take the wind out of your sails here, but trust me, I've seen a room turn against me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to also misrepresent me. People have, I've had whole rooms turn against me in the blink of an eye right. as well. Something right. I'm well versed in, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, sometimes intentional, sometimes wildly yep. unintentional. Yep. Exactly. Uh, see, that's really. I, I think honestly, the bravest one of the like boldest things you could do career wise is choose to go into show business because it's so inevitably not going to work out. Right. But I think 
one notch more bold than that is deciding to leave. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. There is something and there is like this weird thing of just like when I feel like it's in like those war movies when guys are on their like fifth tour. <laughs> this is such an awful false equivalency, but guys are on their fifth tour. They see one of their buddies who used to be in the tour. They're like, what are you doing now? It's like, actually, I kind of set up with like uh, civilian <laughs> side and I'm making six figures and I'm like getting to right. sleep in my own bed with my family. It's like, yeah. that's the version of like, hey, I'm doing, hey, I miss, I miss comedy guys but by the way over here what i'm doing is yeah and and i almost all of my friends are comics like um we've had mutual friends and been around each other for years and years and years like that's a world that i still really really love and and if you know aziz decided to do a fucking season three of master of none in some other country and was like oh yeah here come be the writer on the food portion of the thing i'd be like hell yeah yeah maybe not aziz yeah maybe not aziz But like, well, like <laughs> maybe not right now. Aziz. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, let's let it you hear that, Aziz. We're willing to work for you, no yeah. matter what is that being said about you, right? <laughs> okay, fine, fine. A new example. They cut. They bring back House of Cards. Yeah, but this one is fully food. Kevin Spacey opens a taco truck. They need a consultant. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Okay, Woody Allen wants me. Whatever. Like, I'm yeah. writing on Woody Allen's new food truck. <laughs> That's a bad example, but a fair point. Like, right. I, I would, I would absolutely go take a gig if there was a fit for me on that side. And in some ways, the most money in my world is by bleeding back into the entertainment side by doing more books, more TV, more films, things like that. Yeah. Um, so that's probably inevitable. And in that sense, I end up having a little bit of a leg up because so many people who do what I do as a food writer are just weirdos who like came off of Yelp pages and found a following. Right. But uh, in the meantime, yeah, every conversation that I have with people is like you, especially my comedy friends, they're just like, oh, where do you eat? Oh, you're so lucky to have your job. And it's like, I feel fucked fucking great like Lauren Lapkus probably has a million dollars by now but I eat really well and both are cool right there is there is a weird element of like well if I really succeed in this business what do I want to do with my money yeah Eat at fun restaurants. Right. Okay. Well, what if I don't have to get to success Again, in that? I don't difficult- need the fucking maze, right? <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, if my end goal is to eat at fun restaurants, um, and that's all I want money for, what if I just kind of make a left here right. and start writing about food and getting discount food? You right, know, like right. getting getting a food budget. Right. I, I'm assuming your job offers you a little bit of a food yes. stipend. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Bring receipts or whatever. Um, then I'm sure there's an element of like you're friendly with a lot of restaurants, so you get like a slight up and then yeah. there's an there's an element of you of like that if if you have the money where do you want to put it but except into your hobby like right i still pay to download movies i don't give a fuck i refuse to that's where i'm eventually going to get paid from anyway right so it's like i don't mind giving my money to restaurants if yeah. they're good like that and so it's like this interesting you became part of the ecosystem that you wanted instead of finding a way to come in on top. You right, know? right, exactly right. Because there is the Phil Rosenthal uh, angle too where of you're course. like, I really like food. I just happen to have Raymond now so yes. I can do this for a while then figure out a way to get back into food via investing and eating. Yeah, yeah and he will have more and, and, and better and more varied restaurant experiences than I ever will just because he happens to have all the money behind him and none of it matters. Like, right. I still have to be a little bit strategic in the places <laughs> that I go. Um, but I'm also operating right now at, at kind of a, a city in some national level where it's like, oh, I really want want every chef in the city to know who I am and to like want to tell me things. Yeah. And then once that changes and you go national or start going international, then maybe the budget comes along with it or whatever. But uh, for now, I, I just have so much fun being in restaurants because it's it's exactly the most fun and energetic place to be. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I, as someone who worked in bars and stuff like that, I love that world. I actually... 
when I was in Barcelona with my wife over uh, winter break, we were having such a blast and, and just walking around from restaurant to restaurant. Even shit like I don't even remember names of places. I just went in was like, that place had great squid and I had three beers or whatever. Right. And then I remember like we were just saying, everyone is so nice here. And then I pitched to my wife. I'm like, here's my theory as to why there's so many cool people in Barcelona. It's such a restaurant and bar world mm-hmm. that so many people who live here must work in service and the vibe of service people is just more yes. fun than the yes. vibe of almost you know if everyone is a restaurant p- person then that works in restaurants or bartends or hangs out those are the people that are the most fun to be out with at restaurants those are the most people those are the people who are out till four in the morning eating and drinking right. and know all the cool places and it's like a city overly populated by that is so, and that's why LA is so douchey because we're overpopulated with people trying to make it entertainment. <laughs> New York is populated with people who are just exclusively trying to make money. Right. So, like, you know, of course there's creative elements to all these worlds, but like, there's just something about, but New York has a heavy service yeah. world too, where it's like the waiter, the waiters and the bartenders are who you want to hang out with. And yeah. it's like to be part of that world as part of your career is fucking exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, listen, I drive a 2005 Volkswagen Golf, like, it's got 185,000 miles on it and going strong baby like the things that i choose as long as you can get me to from chengdu taste to pico and la brea for some carnitas yeah that's like that's the part for me that's like oh i could give a shit and most chefs you know most people who work in the hospitality industry you know maybe they're saving up for something bigger or it's part of they're going to get an education somewhere else but a lot of them are just like yeah, I'm going to have my fucking shift drink after service and I'm right. going to drive a beater and just like have the best fucking time with people. I know. There's a reason that like so much of pop culture will still make those references like party down and waiting. Like it's all about these people after their shift. What happens because you're so fucking livened up. Right. Because it's such a real I mean, and you know, drugs and alcohol are a very yes. helpful part yes. of that. And Lack some of- very terrible sexual things and all of that is also part of it. Right. That's true in almost any culture where it's like unchecked, tr- like true unchecked unchecked power right. dynamic right. you know where it's like there isn't an hr department in <laughs> restaurants yeah at least not yet yeah <laughs> yeah coming in very soon <laughs> very, very very hot very hot very necessary very soon um well farley thanks for taking the time to talk to me man of course, this has yeah, been man. really exciting i feel like we have a few more meals in our future yes and yeah. i mean just in general we're gonna die soon <laughs> <laughs> I've got about six or seven meals left to me before I croak, so let's make make them happen. It's like the five-fingered fist from like uh, um, uh, Kill Bill, right? right yeah. Where you got five steps and then you're dead. You better make those meals count. <laughs> Um, well, we'll have you back on down the line after we've done some more sort of, uh, we'll figure out some more food topics to get into. Cause it's been, I love talking to people who are more informed than me in certain in worlds that I care about. So it's like very exciting. Um, I think our, pro- our travel project will be, you take me to where you think your favorite pest store is. Cause that's like my favorite shit in the, okay. here in LA, which I, you know, there's few foods that I never even really heard of until moving here. Right. And Al Pastor is one of them. Like, yeah. you know, or maybe it was on some menus at some like real Mexican places in New York, but n- not enough. Yeah. That I would have tried it. And then when I first had it here, I was like, oh my God, this is the food I've been waiting for. Yeah. 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 How can I not love this? 
Ooh, getting wildly over here. <laughs> Bet you it's an Amazon delivery as Arthur barks at it. So Farley, what? let's tell people the name of your book is Los uh, Angeles Street Food. Los Angeles Street Food, a history from Tomaleros to taco trucks. It's available on Amazon, bookstores, you can get it wherever. Uh, I also run Eater here in Los Angeles. That's just la.eater.com. And everywhere online, I'm over, over, under. Overworked, overfed, underpaid. <laughs> and I will say, if you get nothing, if you don't want to buy Farley's book, if you don't want to read his articles, at least do yourself a favor and far follow Farley on Instagram. Yes. There are no gym selfies. There are no, <laughs> there are no like check out these fresh kicks or thanks. Like, you know, none of that bullshit. Like shout out to the guy who sent me this free shirt. No, they are just exclusively <laughs> high res, beautiful images of food. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, your hand features a prominence in about 60% of the photos. I yeah. love that your, mo your modeling technique is not on a plate. Oh but yeah. It's on the cross section view of sandwiches and tacos. Yeah. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody needs to make like a mood board of my hand over the years and how it's just graying and decaying and getting fatter. <laughs> just swollen and swollen. There's like visible saline dripping out of the <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you be skeletal but fat? I don't know. We're finding out. Uh, so over, over, under. Get his book, Los Angeles Street Food. Uh, just arrived yesterday, so I'm looking to get cracked into it. <laughs> I'm going to definitely have that open with a Google Maps <laughs> app going. Um, as always, I'm at John Gabris on Twitter. Uh, if you're an L.A. resident, tweet at us at some of these places that you think we might not have heard of. Uh, Farley has. But and I'll try to <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> but give it a go. Um, and... Uh, you can get your, you know, subscribe to Action Boys, my other uh, podcast on Patreon. You can go to actionboys.biz. Also, this week, shirts are on sale in the um, High and Mighty store. So go to gabers.com slash shirts for discount shirts only through Sunday. And this comes out Thursday. So move your ass. All right. Farley, thanks, bud. Adios. Bye, shitheads. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>